The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. My special guest today is Elaine Howell, the state auditor. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And Margarita Fernandez, who works with Elaine Howell. And we're going to talk about uh, redistricting, setting up, getting through the process as we get towards the commission, get it established. And what is the auditor's role in that? I think of auditors follow the money, but... You got put into this process, I think, a little bit by surprise, as I recall. Absolutely by surprise. First of all, thank you so much for inviting us to participate in the podcast. Yeah, it was a big surprise when um, Prop 11 qualified for the ballot, actually, and that was a a measure that went to the voters to say, we want to have an independent citizens commission Uh that will draw the district lines. And at that time, it was Assembly, Senate and Board of Equalization districts. And then shortly after that initiative passed, there was a subsequent initiative that brought in the congressional districts. I remember that, yeah. So this redistricting commission has a huge responsibility in California. We were put in the first initiative as the entity that was responsible for setting up a process for reaching out to people in mm-hmm. California, educating them about what redistricting is all about, why they should be part of the process, and certainly why they should apply to be a commissioner. How is the composition of the commission reached? There's some complicated criteria, or there are several steps that have to be met in order to get the membership of the commission established, right? What, what is it you have to do to make sure it happens right? Absolutely. First of all, the commission is a 14-member body. It has to be comprised of the two largest political parties um, at at this point, that's Republican and Democrat, and then the other four individuals, uh, so five Republicans, five Democrats, and then the other four individuals have to be not affiliated with either of those two parties. They could be a uh, no party preference, they could be peace and freedom, independent. So there's a balance in the commission itself uh, once it's established, those 14 members. There's a, a process that we had developed when we created the 2010 Citizens Redistricting Commission where we educate folks, conduct outreach, Uh uh, and then certainly we have an application process which started on June 10th, and this first phase is called the initial application process. Very simple, where people go in, give us their basic information, but there are some requirements in the initiative. You have to have have voted. You have to have voted in two of the last three statewide elections. You have to be uh, the same party affiliation for the last five years. Um, and then there are some conflict provisions. There's a, a myriad of number of different provisions that would conflict someone out. If you've worked for a congressional member, if you've worked for a member of the legislature, you've contributed okay. to campaigns. I mean, the goal there is you're trying to nail down partisanship over time, right? Exactly, okay. exactly. You're trying to make sure that this commission really repre- is represented by folks who are not part of the political process. That was right. the intent of the initiative in the first place. Uh-huh. So the way we crafted, mirroring what was in the initiative, crafted the process is a way to screen those folks out. Of the, you mentioned 14 members, uh, five from established parties. Mm-hmm. Now, California right now is going through a major expansion of independent or mm-hmm. decline to state or no party preference. Right. Um, if, can all of those four other members that we're talking about, members mm-hmm. of the commission, can they all be no party preference or does one have to be natural law or peace and freedom or no they're the only requirements in the in the initiative are five represent 
five from each of the two largest parties and four okay. not affiliated. So it could be all no party preference. Those four okay. individuals could all be no party preference. Why, why the even number? It just struck me. Why the even number? Does that lead to split votes? Well, the, the, it's interesting because when the maps are decided upon by the commission, yeah. there have to be nine commissioners approving the maps, uh-huh. three from each of the pools. So three Republicans, three Democrats, and three not affiliated. And it's my understanding the reason the, the drafters of the initiative did that that way is so that each of those groups would have equal opportunity to make decisions on the map. So you couldn't have the Democrats and the Republicans working together and basically okay. their votes would, would out, outvote the other four commissioners. Uh-huh. They wanted representation from each of those three groups. That's why there have to be nine votes, three from each. Okay. Uh, you folks are basically uh, money folks, mm-hmm. uh, watching to make sure we spend money properly, we being the state, right. and a myriad other issues, but it's essentially fiscal. It's um, a f- fiscal efficiency and auditing is something the state has to have. Right. But I don't think of the auditor as, as a political beast as far as this kind of issue, I mean, as far as redistricting goes. So are you getting trained? Or do you have people that, that do this and know all about, you must know about this? Uh, well, first of all, I think the reason the state auditor's office was, was included in the initiative is exactly what you said. We're a nonpartisan independent entity. Yeah. So we don't have any... Um, agendas or anything like that. I mean, I think we are a trustworthy entity that the voters felt and the the folks who drafted the initiative felt this is the entity that can do this job as far as establishing the process for selecting the commission. Now, drawing district lines, we're not involved in that process, but we certainly, as we did last time, will bring in consultants to provide training Mm -hmm. to these commissioners because you're bringing in average citizens who are not politically connected based on the conflicts. Um, and the last commission did a fabulous job, but but they need to understand Bagley Keene because they're going to be having open meetings. They need to understand what the census data looks like, how to use the census data. One of the requirements of the commissioners is to have strong analytical skills, and that's because they're going to be working uh, with the census data okay. and looking at how that data shapes out and look make you know the different communities of interest throughout the state of California. So we brought in experts to to provide training mm-hmm. to the commissioners uh, from a variety of different spec- perspectives as far as how to conduct a meeting, making mm-hmm. sure you're following all the laws with respect to that, but also understanding the census, understanding what is redistricting, how do we go about doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will be involved in that process up until the commission is fully formed, and then for a little bit, uh, a little while after that, until they're able to hire whomever they want to assist them as far as their own staff. Are there local public officials? Uh, are they eligible to be on the commission? To serve on the commission? I don't know. I mean, but at the local level, it's a huge issue, obviously. Right. And actually, the previous commission had an individual who did serve on the commission, and he was a mayor of a city. Oh, okay. Um, And I think he resigned. He had to resign resign as mayor, but he felt compelled and once he was selected as a commissioner, because it's a random drawing at the end. um, So local officials can 
apply to become a commissioner, and if they are selected yeah, as, okay. as this individual did, they would have to step down from that. Now, you mentioned, um, was it June 10th is the start of application? Right. So you, you have applications coming in. Now, in full disclosure here, we filed, my outfit has filed a Public Records Act request. Okay. I've never had this kind of response to a PRA, by the way. <laughs> Thank you for the podcast. But, um, but one of the things we were interested in is what is available out there, publicly available out there. And some of this is online. Is that right? Or oh, is that not? The, the absolutely. All of it's online. Just mm-hmm. like the last process, the, the way we have uh, structured this is the application is online. So you can just go out to the website and apply. Okay. You can use your smartphone to apply. Um, folks who don't have access to a computer can go to libraries. We've partnered with libraries to allow people to go and use wow. a computer at a library. Um, so all of the information is online. We have a tracker that tells you I think we updated it a few times a week as far as the number of people who have applied. It shows you by uh, ethnicity, gender, political party affiliation. You can sort by county. So, folks, we want all of the people of the state of California to be involved in this process, even if they don't decide to apply, which is what we want them to do. Mm-hmm. But they can go on to this website, Shape California's Future. Um, it's a long website, shapescaliforniasfuture.auditor.ca.gov. <laughs> but once you get there and you bookmark it, then you can, yeah. you can uh, pop back in. Um, as of this morning, we had over 2,700 people have applied. We, a couple weeks in. We're only two weeks so, in. So, really. yeah, we're, we're excited about that, but we want more and more people to get involved. We've been These working. are specifically applying for commission jobs. Absolutely. Okay. Complying, uh, applying for commission jobs. So once we get through screening of those initial applications, all of that information will be online so folks will know I live in Yolo County has anybody from my county applied you can go in and you'll be able to see so that kind of detail will be available absolutely what is the application window started June 10th when does it end started June 10th the initial application period started June 10th and it finished it completes August 9th so you've got to get that initial application in by August 9th then there's a supplemental application that asks for a little bit more detail. It's more of a essay questions like, why do you believe you would be a great commissioner? Why do you think redistricting is important? What skill sets would you bring to the table? Demonstrate uh, an example of how you've uh, been able to be impartial as far as you know, you're going to have Republicans, Democrats, and not yeah. affiliated, and you're going to have different viewpoints. You have to be willing to listen to someone else's viewpoint and make a decision that's in the best interest of the state of California. Explain that to us in this supplemental application. That time frame is August 12th through September 11th. It's a 30-day window. Um, but what we intend to do is put that supplemental application on our website so folks can take a look at it uh, Sometime in July, I think it's going to be like by mid-July, so you can, can you can see what the questions look like and start putting your thoughts together. But to be able to, to fill out that supplemental, you've got to get the initial application in. So, so is this a paid position when you become a commissioner, or is this a volunteer position? The commissioners do receive uh, payments for each each meeting they hold. Um, at the first commission, I think it was $300 per meeting. It's adjusted by CPI, so it'll be a little bit higher. The commission has a budget. Um, and they're all of their expenses because they will have meetings up and down the state because they need to meet with the communities. So a lot of meetings in the evenings, meetings on the weekends, all of their travel expenses, all of their other expenses are paid for, and they do get essentially a stipend for each meeting. Um, the After the cutoff of applications, you, you get a number of applications in, mm-hmm. then do you sort through them? 
to figure out, is that one of the things you do is you sort through these to see which are okay and which Right. Not? That, that's another uh, element in the initiative. The initiative required my office to establish what's called an applicant review panel. It's a panel of three individuals. You weren't in the room, so they volunteered you as well. <laughs> right. So these three individuals uh, have to be employees of my office, obviously, but they have to have at least 10 years of auditing experience. Okay. So they want seasoned folks. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And then those individuals, the three names have to be one Republican, one Democrat, and one not affiliated. So that applicant review panel okay. also will have perspectives from different, different views. Each member of the applicant review panel will have to review all of the supplemental applications and, and make determinations as to who they think are the best qualified individuals. Um, that applicant review panel will hold public meetings. Those meetings will be streamed. All of this information will be on the website. Um, their decisions will be essentially posted on the website. Here are the folks that they considered at this particular meeting. These are the individuals that they believe are well qualified, stay in the pool. These are individuals they've eliminated from contention. Um, so it's all public transparent. We think that's critically important to the people of the state of California. Are we, are we talking thousands? Of, I mean, it's two weeks in and we've got 2,700. Are we talking thousands? We have 2,700, a little over 2,700 right now. Yeah, it'll, hopefully it'll be thousands ah, because okay. what, what we're, we're telling people out there when we're speaking at different events make this applicant review panel's job difficult because uh -huh. we want to make sure we have the most qualified, diverse uh, group of individuals uh, contending to be members of the commission. This is the opposite of the Capital Weekly mantra, which is make the job as easy as possible. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. What um, uh, at what point do we find out who's the final who who will be on the commission? Right. So once the once the supplemental applications come in, then uh, each of those individuals also need to submit a letter of three letters of recommendation. Oh, okay. And all of that's going to be posted on on our website. The other thing we encourage folks to do out there uh, is... Just one thing, are there requirements on those letters of recommendation? I mean, like previous employers or personal... There are, no, or? it could be personal, it could be uh, an employer, it could okay. be family member, any anyone uh, that that particular candidate wants to have submit. But we ask for only three. But once we post all of those supplemental applications online, we open it up for public comment. So you may uh, not have written a letter of recommendation on behalf of an individual, but you know that person and you think they would be a great commissioner. We uh, want to hear from you. Or if you don't think they would be impartial or have the ability to work with others, we want to hear that too. That helps our applicant review panel really make the best decision. So once they have all of that information, they uh, have to get it down to 120 names, 40 in each of the three buckets we've talked about, wow. by February of next year. Then those 120, the panel will hold hearings and interview each of those 120 in a public meeting that will be streamed and ask them questions. To Is it one meeting for one candidate? We're talking about 120 public Well, w the way we're, we're proposing it at this point, depending upon the numbers we get, uh, we don't want it to be more than three or four per meeting per day uh -huh. because we want to give the applicant review panel the opportunity to interview sure. folks, really think about it, that sort of thing. So we don't want to try to jam a whole bunch of interviews in one particular day, but it will be dependent upon how many applicants we have. Um, but that 120 then gets down to 60, 20 in each of the three buckets, and those 60 names, this is important, goes to the legislature. So legislative leadership does have the opportunity, similar to someone being selected for a, a jury, to kick out certain individuals. Okay. So there's four legislative leaders 
each of those leaders gets to kick out two people from each of the three This buckets. could get ugly. <laughs> so last time, you know, that would be a total of 24 out of the 60. Okay. Last time they, they took advantage of that and they sure. eliminated 24 folks. They don't have to explain to us why or, yeah. you know, they certainly have to tell us who. So then the 36 names come back to my office. Uh, did the, uh, excuse me, but did the legislative leaders act in concert? Or do the leg- the Republican minority leaders in both houses have a say, and the Democratic leaders? In- you know, I don't know the answer to that question. I we weren't involved once we send because we send them all the materials. I see. Okay. Even though it's all online, we make sure we send them all the materials so that they have. I don't know how leadership handled sure. it last time, and I'm not sure how they will this time. Um, but then those 36 names come back to our office. They have to come back to us. The legislature gets them May 15th. They have 45 days. So okay. by June 30th, end of the fiscal year, right. June 30th, 2020, I have to have those 36 names in hand. Then here starts the random drawing. So we draw the first eight commissioners, three Republicans, three Democrats, and two not affiliated. And we say we, you mean the office my, of the state my office, okay. Right, my yeah. office. Yeah. Now, I'll be standing up there on stage with a bingo ball machine <laughs> and spinning it and get spitting numbers out that have been assigned to the candidates, and we select those first eight. Now, once those first eight are identified and they've agreed to, continue, they've agreed to serve, because we've got to make sure they're still in, um, which last time they all were, then those eight meet and they look at the remaining candidates and they have to consider diversity and other issues mm-hmm. to make sure that that commission fully reflects the diversity of the okay. state of California. Okay. Now, my attorneys will provide support to the commission. That's where we're still involved helping those first eight figure out who their okay. remaining six are going to be. The commission has to be established by August 15, 2020 because they only have a year to get those maps done and voted on and approved. So they have to have the maps done by August 15th of 21. Their selection has to uh, accommodate the five Dems, the five Reaps, and the four. Yes. So they oh, are those, those eight may be, they may be independents there as well. They may be some Dems, they may be some Reaps. The eight will be three Republicans, three Dems, and two not okay. affiliated. Oh, yeah. okay. And then they pick the remaining six. Got it. Okay. The final six. It's kind of an amazing process. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. It is. yeah. Did Arizona, I, I remember at the time that it passed, uh, first time around, that Arizona had been involved in a in a commission. They've set up an independent redistricting commission like this, too, and we took a lot of our ideas from Arizona, amazingly mm-hmm. enough. Is that mm-hmm. correct, or is mm-hmm. that... I think Arizona has a similar commission. I don't know that the process for selecting the commission okay. is the same. I'm not real familiar. But California is the first state that had established what was truly an independent citizens commission. Uh-huh. A lot of citizens commissions in other states are appointed by the legislature or by judges in those particular states. So it's not a process like we have in California where we are saying apply. We okay. want to hear from the people who are interested in being engaged civically and really care about the future of our state. Apply to become a commissioner. So it's a completely different process, mm-hmm. very unique, California. And, and when would the 14 commissioners actually sit down uh, for the first time and actually open the proceedings and, you know, here we are, folks, and it's time to get started? Kind of. Right. Well, they like I said, the commission has to be established by August 15th of 2020. Mm-hmm. I would presume, you know, we'll get them some training. We're going to have to teach them about yeah. Open Meetings Act and things like that. But I would assume they would want to get started as soon as possible yeah. because they need to understand the existing maps. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, make some decisions about who their executive director is going to be, hire okay. some of their staff. So I would assume 
shortly after, I mean, within a, few, a month or two, I would assume mm-hmm. they're going to have to start having some meetings. And, and until they meet, the existing commissioners are actually in place? The existing commission dissolves as soon as the first commissioner is drawn. So oh, as soon okay. as I draw that first name, the 2010 commission is is out of out of commission. <laughs> no, they no longer they no longer exist. Yeah, that's power. That's yeah. all you do is draw a ping pong ball. Yeah, and that's you, right. Uh, and you're this. And the 2010 commission, I have to say, they've done a great job. Yeah, um, so, they were kind of like the leader, sort of the cutting right, edge there. We didn't. Right, and yeah. and we actually have some information on our website, a video that we did interviewing some of the commissioners because some of the questions we've gotten when we've been out talking to folks is. Oh, how hard is this? Am I able to keep my day job? Sure, and, yeah. and we had a mix on the last commission of some retirees, some folks who had full-time jobs who were yeah. able to balance. It's a difficult job, but as the video shows, and we interviewed many of the, if not all the commissioners, this was really, really hard work, but it's the, one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. Uh-huh, yeah. So it's, um, it's a, a unique opportunity for people in, in our state. And the lines that get drawn by this commission take effect for the twenty. 20- 22 elections. Right, because the maps have to be drawn by, by August of 2021. Okay. And then in 20, let's see, August 20. So in 2022, there will be some candidates. Uh, people want to be candidates for various offices of congressional, legislative, board of equalization, whatever. They Will they know by the time the candidate filing deadline comes, which I think is the end of April or May, I'm not sure about that. Will they know what Districts are actually running in Will they, by that time? They should know. I mean, if the maps are drawn by August of 21, 2021, mm-hmm. uh, they should know. Um, mm-hmm. And, and th- as I said, the, the commissioners <clears throat> develop the districts for Assembly, Senate, Board of Equalization, and congressional districts. They all have okay. to be done at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, do you expect any legal – I can't remember if there were legal challenges last time I th- thought there were, but there always aren't. When it comes to redistricting, there always seem to be legal challenges out there at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you recall if we had them last time, and do you expect them this time, or is that just part of the game that you have to expect? Yeah, I don't recall that there, I mean, I think there was was litigation um, related to some of the the process and and some of the language in the initiative regarding diversity, et cetera. Um, but I don't know, I can't speak to whether or not there was litigation related to the actual maps themselves. Okay, okay. Some of the districts, has nothing to do with what you're doing this time mm-hmm. around, but some of the districts are amazingly funny, and they were a full employment act for reporters for years. Mm-hmm. I think Burton's district went under San Francisco Bay and popped up in Sausalito, mm-hmm. was one story mm-hmm. I heard. Mm-hmm. Um, are there rules that these, that these commissioners will have to follow that you know of about contiguous districts and balancing populations, ethnicity and diversity and all this stuff. Um, is that something you get involved with or is that therein? We don't get involved in uh, specific line drawing. Yeah. That's why they need to hire experts. I mean, there are certain requirements as far as communities of interest, keeping communities together, not having yeah. oddly shaped districts that benefit, with all due respect to the legislature, benefit members. Sure. The whole point of this initiative in the first place was giving the power back to the people of the state of California. And that's what the commissioners in 2010 were really cognizant of. They went out, talked to communities, tried to keep communities of interest together instead of having really weird-looking districts. Okay. Well, on that happy note, power to the people. We'll wrap up this version of Capital Weekly's podcast. Elaine Howell. Thank you Thank you very much. Margarita Fernandez. Thank you very much. Tim Foster. Thank Thank you. you. And this is John Howard, and we'll visit with you next time around.